Hello, and welcome to Sundays at Coastal. This week, Pastor Andy preaches out of Acts chapter 12 with a sermon titled, Set Free. We cannot control the actions of others, and the outcomes of their decisions can have a devastating impact on our lives. Every single one of us knows what it's like to live in bondage, shackled to our captors, filled with hopelessness and despair. Our captors can be fear, pride, bitterness, abandonment, or worthlessness. These can be lies about God, ourselves, and others. The glorious reality of knowing Jesus is that now, by His strong and powerful name, those chains can be broken. We believe in three things as a church. We believe that there is always hope beyond our brokenness. Always, always, always. There's not anybody in this church that has it all together. We've all been lost and now are been found by our Savior. We've all been dead and now have been made alive by His Holy Spirit. Amen? No matter what you're facing in your life, there is a plan that God has for your healing, redemption, and restoration. No matter what relationship that you have in your life that feels absolutely destroyed and, and, and ravaged, God has a plan uh, to make things new and to restore you in ways that you never could imagine. Whether or not that relationship is fully healed and reconciled or not. Amen? Amen. So that's what we believe as a church. Second, we believe that you and I are called to trust in our risen Savior. We trust Him with our heart. We trust Him with our future. We trust Him with our past, with our present. We trust Him with our children. We constantly are in this place of surrendering to Jesus all the things that we have today. Right? We say, your kingdom come. Your will be done today on earth as it is in heaven. Today. Because he's bigger than we are. He's smarter than we are. He's better than we are. Amen? Lastly, we're called to bring restoration. I cannot wait to hear next week about the stories about how our youth group brought restoration through Change for a Dollar. I cannot wait to see how Julian and his family in Cornwall, England, brought restoration to someone in their community through Change for a Dollar. I cannot wait to see what's going to happen in the lives of our families that now have stability in their housing for the first time in a long time because of you guys. That's what we do. We bring restoration. It is so, so beautiful. Each one of these truths of hope and trust and restoration has a choice that we get to make every day. And that's what discipleship is. It's following Jesus and making those choices. So let's declare this together, which we say every week. Let's declare it together. Are you ready? We are disciples who walk intentionally with God. Therefore, I choose to be changed by Jesus. I choose to seek Jesus first. And I choose to join Jesus in his resurrection work. You guys, can we pray? Hey, uh, for those of you online and for those of you here, can I have permission to speak to your heart of hearts today? Would that be okay? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, fill us the room that we're listening in, this room, the car that we're driving in. Fill us with your spirit now, Jesus. Fill this place with your spirit. We bind up in silence anything opposed to Jesus that's bothering us, that would put us to sleep, that would distract us, that would cause us to miss something that you want to say to us today, Jesus. We say to our own spirits, awaken, O my soul. We cast the enemy off us and out of this places that we're in now by the blood of Jesus. Do you guys agree? Father, this is your time and your space, and we are so grateful for you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. Listen, at the end of the sermon today, we're gonna do communion, but if you're online, uh, so just, you know, get that, whatever you're gonna use for the bread and and the wine, right? Whether it's milk and cereal or... Whatever it is. So get, get that ready, okay, uh, online, because at the end, we'll, we'll do that together.
Today is a, uh, an amazing story about uh, Peter being uh, thrown in jail again, and then uh, sitting literally chained in between two of his jailers, he's then set free by an angel. And uh, it, it's, it's an amazing story, and I'm going to talk about who our jailers are in our life today. I'm going to give you some historical context, some theological context, but before I need to tell you a story, okay, about some of the jailers that we have in our life. Um, so when I was in college, my English teacher named Les Francis told a story about how he had a little Jack Russell's terrier, uh, and a Jack Russell terrier, he, he would go ballistic um, when there was uh, squirrels in the backyard. And uh, one day, um, you know, he'd always try and catch the squirrels, but never could catch the squirrels. And then one day, Les comes home from lunch, because he lived within walking distance of Whitworth, and Whitworth is just filled with pine trees and squirrels everywhere. He comes home, and he walks into this backyard, or he walks into the yard, and there's a Jack Russell Terrier bouncing up and down behind the screen door, and there's what looks to be a squirrel on the porch. And Les is mortified opens the door, it's not a squirrel, it's a bunny. And uh, so he washes the bunny off, and you know, this muddy bunny now is a, a wet, tiny bunny, and then he, he realizes that this is the bunny, and he looks in his backyard and he sees a hole in the fence of his backyard, which goes to his neighbor's bunny, Hutch, which his neighbor, Matt, had just gotten for their five-year-old daughter for Easter. Easter bunny, right? And Les is like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. My dog couldn't kill a squirrel, but he digs underneath the fence and has murdered my neighbor's five-year-old Easter bunny. And so Les has a choice. What do you do? Is he honest with Matt, breaking this little girl's heart, or does he lie? Before he makes that choice, he says, well, I'm, let me wash this bunny off. And then he's like, well, I can't present the bunny back to Matt like this soaking wet. So he blow dries the bunny, and now the bunny is poof, <laughs> right? And it's stiff. It's, you know, it's rigor mortis. It's like not a good situation. And so Les is at the back fence, and he's about to hop over the fence and go talk to Matt. And he realizes Matt's not home. In fact, nobody's home. It's his lunch break. And so he makes the decision to absolutely lie. He puts the bunny back in the hutch, hops the fence, and calls it a day. A week, a week later, he's raking leaves in his backyard or doing something in his backyard, and Matt comes over and says, Hey, Les, um, uh, have you seen anybody kind of weird around the neighborhood? And Les is like, No. He's like, Nobody like in our backyards? And Les is like, Oh, here it comes. No, no. You know? And Les says, Why? And Matt says, well, my, my daughter, you know, we got this bunny for my daughter, and I didn't know this, but bunnies just die sometimes, right? And so we, we had a funeral for the bunny, and we said prayers for the bunny, and we put the bunny in the, in the ground, and we covered it up, and some sick, twisted person dug up the bunny and washed it off and blow dried it and then put it back in the hutch and my daughter came out to lay flowers on the garden on her, the grave and noticed that the grave was dug up and you know it's Easter time less and so we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus and then looked in the hutch and there was the bunny but the bunny was dead and so then we had to have a conversation about zombies, and it just was like, do you know who would do this? And Les, once again, had a choice. So he just lied. I mean, he said, no, uh, that's so terrible, Matt. I have no idea who would do that. And if I ever find out who did that, you'll be the first to know. We have situations in our life where, where we get choices to make, right? 
Because, and you might be thinking, oh, I'd make Les's choice every single day of the week <laughs> and twice on Sundays. But there's a choice that you guys meet, that we get to make, right? And, and I have my own bunny story this week, which I will share a little, in a little bit, where I had almost the exact same situation as Les. And I want you to know that, that you and I, choices that we make about how we respond to situations in life is the choice of whether or not we're going to live with our jailers or be set free. So that's where we're going this morning. Are you with me? Okay, let's read. Uh, In Acts chapter 12, uh, remember the context. Last week we we talked about how Peter um, and Cornelius, the Italian Roman centurion, uh, was converted and his life was changed. The week before that, we talked about how Saul, the Jewish rabbi in charge of all of the persecution, then became a Christian. And uh, so despite the the official um, Israeli policy to destroy the heretical movement of calling Jesus the Jewish Messiah, despite their best attempts to destroy this movement, it's only growing. As they drive out leaders from Jerusalem into surrounding cities, they think it will die. Instead, thousands in the surrounding cities are giving their lives to Christ. They send out a person, Saul, to destroy and kill and wreck uh, the Christian movement. Instead, he becomes a Christian. Uh, so now, religious officials in Jerusalem turn to their la- their, the last-ditch ditch effort that they have, which is to talk to Herod Agrippa, the king. Now, remember Christmas, King Herod orders the killing of all the babies in Bethlehem? Herod Agrippa is Herod's grandson. Does that make sense? So it's a couple of generations later, uh, and uh, here we go. This is uh, the rabbis ask Herod to take care of it, and Herod says, no problem. I'll get in good with the Jewish uh, religious leaders, uh, maybe win some friends. And so he makes a political risky move um, by trying to destroy this heretical movement, uh, so-called heretical movement of calling and following Jesus the Messiah. Make sense? So let's read how Herod starts. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Would you read with me? It was about this time that King Herod arrested some belonging to the church to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. This is a dark, dark day in the history of the church. Remember the inner circle of Jesus is Peter, James, and John. James and John are brothers, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder. Peter, James, and John all fished together for years and years and years. James is the older brother of John. John's the only kid in the youth group. Remember? He's the one who's, John is the one who's resting by Jesus' side. John would write the, will write the gospel of John when he's imprisoned on the island of Patmos. He'll write 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He receives a revelation from the book, from Jesus. He writes the book of Revelation. That's John. His older brother is James. Fear, sorrow radiated through the church, and then it absolutely gets worse. Verse 3. Ready? When Herod saw that this was met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. The festival of unleavened bread, that's Passover. This is about a year. Remember that Jesus is crucified the week of Passover. Okay, so this is a year after the crucifixion and resurrection and then the Holy Spirit is given. This is happening one year later. Make sense? After arresting him, let's read this together, verse 4. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Right? Four squads of four soldiers each. Peter is guarded by 16 people all of the time. Does that make sense? 
He's literally chained on his wrists next to the people. Why did that? Why all this trouble? Because he got let out the last time, right? By angels in the middle of the night. It's that old joke of how you know the Jewish family goes back to Israel and they bring mom there and this amazing family trip and they you know they go see all the sites and it's this incredible pilgrimage for this Jewish family and. The mom dies there, and she's, you know, 98 years old, and it's a trip of a lifetime. It's a peaceful, wonderful death. She dies with a smile on her face, and the husband and, and, and the, the wife show up, and it's, it's, the, it's the wife's mom, and the, the person running the mortuary says, well, you know, ma'am, um, if we fly your mom back to New York for burial, it'll be $10,000. Uh, if we bury her in Israel, since she's a Jew, it's okay. It's only a hundred bucks. And the wife is like, "Well, I want mom here, you know, in the homeland. It's a hundred dollars, absolutely. You know, we're going to do it." And the husband's just sitting there, shaking his head, shaking his head. And the wife goes, "What's wrong?" And and he says, "You know, two thousand years ago they buried somebody here, and he came back to life. I'm not taking a chance with your mom." <laughs> We're flying her back to New York. So Herod is like, we're not taking a chance with Peter. He already broke out once before. We're going to guard him. Now, now, can you imagine, can you imagine as a church, right, that as we're preparing for Easter and doing all of the things that we normally do as we prepare for Easter and we're decorating and there's banners and we're, you know, riding on ribbons and we're having worship nights and we're praying for people and we're doing all the things that we do as a church that our beloved associate pastor Paul is murdered. All of us would be here for the memorial. All of us would be devastated. And then at the memorial, the police come in and arrest me. And you all know that the Monday after Easter is the day that I'm going to be killed as well. What would you do? <laughs> Tim says, go talk to Zed and make sure he's okay. That's, that's, that's so great, Tim. What would church feel like on Easter Sunday? Right? Let's read what the early church does. Verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison. Read this with me out loud, loudly. Ready? So Peter was kept in prison. Wait, 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 wait. That word but weighs 700 pounds. Yell it out. Are you ready? Let's try it again. For an online people, they need to hear you because the but isn't just ah, but it's, that's a 50-pound word. You understand? You ready? Here we go. So Peter was kept in prison. The church was earnestly praying to God for him. Prayer isn't like good thoughts or well wishes or man, you know, sort of like I hope the karmic ways of the universe work out well. Prayer is us talking to the living, breathing, all-powerful, all-loving, all-knowing God of the universe, and our good heavenly Father answers prayers. Always. You need to understand something really important here. The church prays for James as well. James was arrested and he was killed. They were on their knees day and night praying for him and James was killed. What is our response when we pray and the outcomes are not what we want? Like we can be tempted to blame God. By now you've heard me say this a dozen times. Don't blame God for another person's free will choice. God didn't kill James. Herod has free will. He didn't, Herod didn't have to murder James. God gave Herod a choice. Listen, when someone prays for you to grow or repent or change, God continually brings the choice before you that you need to make. Does that make sense? Yes. If you listen, their prayers are answered. If you don't listen, 
That's not on God or them. That's on you. That's on me. And we all have people in our lives that we desperately want them to change for the better. Oh, say yes. Say, oh, oh, yeah. Right? Keep on praying for them. Don't stop. Why? Every time you pray for them, you give them another chance. You, you, you create spiritual space for them to make the choice again. How many chances did you need? Yeah. Pray, next slide, pray with faith that God the Holy Spirit will present them the choice for a better way at the perfect time, just like God did with you. Be confident in your prayers. They work. They work. But Andy, God allowed James to get killed. Is he going to allow Peter to get killed as well? And we have the same kind of questions for our lives. Sometimes the choices of peoples or institutions or businesses or the circumstances that we face seem set in stone. And God knows this. And then we ask this question, is God still going to allow tragedy and loss? And the answer is, yeah. This world, you will have troubles. That's a promise Jesus makes. I wish it wasn't the case. It is. We live in a broken world filled with broken people, and we've caused our fair share of troubles for other people, haven't we? Other people are going to do the same. What do we do? We pray. We pray with confidence. We pray with faith. God is a professional. He's the best in all of human history at making a way where there is no way. Somebody say amen. We all prayed for Joe's nephew, baby Caleb, Little baby who's had, I don't know, 14 heart surgeries in one year, no hope whatsoever, unless there was going to be another ventricle in his heart. Anybody know how to know how to make another ventricle in a baby's heart? They don't have a tool at Home Depot for that one, y'all. And what'd we do? We prayed, and what happened? God grew another ventricle. What? Yeah, that happened this year. Okay? We pray with faith. We pray with faith. Even in the face of the reality that the people that we've had in our lives that have passed, we prayed for, and they still passed. Did you all know that none of you are going to make it out of this place alive? Not like church. Like, you'll be fine when you go home, most likely, (laughs) right? Chances are high, right, that we'll see you all next week. But, like, none of us are going to make it out of life alive. What do we do? We keep on praying. Why? Because prayer works. And we surrender the outcome because we cannot see what God is going to do while we rest on this solid truth. Cried out with me. All my life, he has been faithful. All my life, he has been so, so good. We sang that today. That's what he does. That's what God does. Even when he says no, even when he says not yet, even when someone dies that we love, even when a diagnosis is given that we cannot seem to change, even when a relationship is wrecked and destroyed, all my life God is faithful. All my life he is so, so good. And as we pray, he will do things that will blow our minds. Let's read what God does with the church's prayers for Peter. Are you ready? Verse 6. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial... Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. That's the context. Peter has been set free from jail before, not this time. His wrists are chained to guards on either side of him. Peter the rock is now stuck literally in a hard place. Right? That's bondage. That's despair. That's hopelessness. That's a place of death. How in the world are our prayers going to change that? Are you ready? 
Read with me. Verse 7. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. I love this. Read with me. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Get up quick, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. I love this. Obviously, Jesus is big enough to handle this problem. He can handle your problems. Jesus isn't someone that you pray to, and then all of a sudden you have a nice feeling, and that feeling then helps you solve your problems on your own. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is you talking to the living, breathing God of the universe, and that living, breathing God of the universe then intercedes in real time, in practical ways for your life. And he's going to use other people, and he's going to use miracles. There's going to be things that he does that is absolutely unexplainable. And then he's going to move people's hearts and lives and and situations and circumstances so that exactly what you need at the right time will work out. Does that make sense? I love this. Peter is saying, I'm in absolute despair. There's no hope for me. And suddenly what happens The angel of the Lord shows up and light shone all around the cell. And Peter's thinking to himself, turn out the light, I'm trying to sleep. (laughs) Go away, go away. I'm just trying to sleep. I just need a little bit of rest before I die tomorrow. And what does the angel do? Get up. up. (laughs) Like Peter won't even open his eyes. Jesus, would you help each and every one of us open our eyes to when you're answering prayers, but we're stuck in our despair? Amen? Bleary-eyed, Peter gets up and shows the angels his wrists and says, well, it's nice that you're here, but I'm stuck between two jailers. And then what happens? The chains fall off, and the guards don't wake up. Verse 8, then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. sandals. Peter did so. The angel says, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Why does the angel have to give such specific instructions? Because Peter's just standing there like a knucklehead, right? The angel's like, get dressed. And Peter's like, okay. The angel's like, all the way, dude. Put on your, like, get your cloak on. Let, let's go. What are, like, what are we waiting for? Can I just say this? Can, another, can we just pray another prayer, Lord Jesus? When God is, when you are answering our prayers, would you please help us to actually, like, live into the answer of the prayer? I've I've had that happen so many times where God will provide exactly the friend that I need and then I won't engage in the friendship. I'm so lonely, Lord. Here's a friend. Well, not you. God, here's my deep financial need. God provides more work. Not that. Here's my deep financial need. God provides a check out of the middle of the nowhere. I need more. Out of my greed. Verse 9, Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. I just imagine Luke interviewing Peter. So what was that like? And Peter's like, dude, I just thought, like, I thought I was having a fever dream. Like, I was out of my mind. Maybe they put something in the soup that night. I don't know. I was, I was gonzo, Right? I have a friend who got a phone call. We just we look at this story and we think, well, I can't. I mean, it can't be real, right? Like God doesn't do that today. I mean, maybe two thousand years ago. But I have a friend who got a phone call. It was about eleven o'clock at night. A woman that he had been helping was calling, terrified. She was calling from a dark room. She had been taken from her house, bound, drugged, and had already been abused and was about to be abused a whole lot more. Somehow she got her phone and was calling my friend. She said, I I can't see anything in the room. So my friend said, 
well, Jesus, would you please bring light to the room? And then my friend said, okay, um, there's an angel in the room and he's glowing and I can see. And my friend said, can you get up? And she said, no, I'm like totally drugged. Like there's no way, like I can't move my legs at all. And so my friend said, well, Jesus, would you use that angel to pick my friend up right now? And my, the woman on the other line go, whoa, uh, okay. But there's like all of the people who got me, they're in, like they're literally, like the guys are, the men are in the other room right now. And so my friend on the line says, Jesus, would you make them blind and bring, bring, bring her out? So she did. She was carried through the house, through the living room in front of all of her captors who did not see her. That was she's led out to her car when she got to her car, she said, okay, I'm in the car. And my friend said, okay, can you drive? And she said, no, I'm drugged. I can't move my arms or my legs. Like, I can't do it. And he, and he said, well, what seat are you riding, are you in? He goes, I'm in the passenger seat. And then he heard the car stud up on the other line, end of the line. And he's like, what's happening? And she says, oh, my angel is driving. I'm tired. I'll see you in a bit. And the line goes dead. And my friend is like, uh, what? So they're praying, they're praying, they're praying. And he's in the front yard with his family, praying, praying, praying. And a car turns down the street and drives down and parks right in his driveway. And there is nobody in the driver's seat. And she is asleep in the passenger seat, safe. God sets captives free. You think that's a miracle? It's just as much of a miracle for the jailers in your heart to be eliminated and bound and blinded and gagged and for you to walk out from the bondage that you're in right now. Don't downplay what God does in you. God sets captives free. Verse 10, read with me. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Can I tell you something important? I want to speak to your heart of hearts right now. Look, there's very few of you that are ever going to be like unjustly imprisoned and chained between two guards, okay? Every single one of us knows what it's like to live in bondage. Every single one of us knows what it feels like to be shackled to something that's keeping us down. Amen? Amen. Fear is a captor. We get shackled to it. So is pride, bitterness, worthlessness, unlove, cynicism, you name it. These are the jailers or the guards which our, hound, our hearts are still bound up in. And this happens in life to every single human being. We get wounded. The enemy lies to us when we are wounded the worst. And then that lie becomes a chain binding us to the liar an accuser of our souls if we believe that lie. The glorious reality of knowing Jesus is that now, by his strong and powerful name, those chains can be broken. Amazing grace, my chains are gone. Amen? Amen? You don't have to live with a lie anymore. You don't have to live in the bondage that you are a burden. You don't have to be jailed between the guards of worthlessness and unloved. 
For the past 24 years, I have lived with the reality that I have been worthless and unloved. My family, and, and guess what? I don't have a perfect marriage. Did you know that? I'm not a living saint. We got problems just like anybody else. And in that reality is that I have felt unloved and worthless. And I gave my everything and I did not get the same love in return with my family, with my friends, like it was all across the board in my life. And so I believed the lie that I wasn't worth loving. And I believed the lie that I would never truly be loved just for me. Like you would love me because I could provide for you a service as your pastor, but if you loved, if you knew all the brokenness in me, you would say, no thanks. Until two weeks ago at the prayer retreat, until my friend Debbie helped me to get to that lie. Debbie and I do the prayer retreat for, for people in our church, and on Friday night, I'm the guinea pig, right? And, and it's an awful experience, um, but a wonderful experience. So here I am crying, blubbering, tears running down my face, and I don't want to tell anybody that I feel unloved and worthless. I don't want to tell anybody that at all. Uh, and I'm just throwing up every kind of resistance and like, you know, telling her other things and she can just see right through me. She's been April and I's friend for 15 years and Debbie's like, um, do you, do you want to keep on doing this? And, uh, and I was like, uh-huh, yeah, I don't want to tell you the truth at all. And she's like, okay, well, we can stop praying. And then finally the dam burst, just the dam broke and and I got to be honest. And in that moment, I got set free. Amen. And the jailers that I'd had for a long time, my chains, they let go. Honesty, courage, vulnerability, these opened my eyes to the chains. And then in Jesus' name, when we rejected those lies, the chains fell off. This is what I prayed. I reject the lie that I am worthless and unloved in Jesus' name. I reject the fear of never being loved in Jesus' name. Jesus, I gratefully receive your love. I am worth everything to you, and I receive the worth you give me right now. Brothers and sisters, there are people in this room that need to pray this prayer. If you don't need to pray this prayer, would you pray it with them, next to them anyways, loudly, so that they know that you're on their team. Yes. Can we pray this together? Yes. I reject the lie that I am worthless and unloved in Jesus' name. I reject the fear of never being loved in Jesus' name. Jesus, I gratefully receive your love. I am worth everything to you, and I receive the worth you give me right now. I'm, I'm different, friends. I'm different. I've been set free. Amen. Harry Houdini was on tour. Do you know who Harry Houdini was? He's this guy. He was on tour in Scotland. And he, he's the David Blaine of the 1920s. Uh, and he was bound, chained, shackled in a prison cell. This is literally him in the prison cell. The town gathered outside the building to wait and see if Houdini could escape in the time limit that he set for himself. And he quickly freed himself from all of the shackles and balls and chain and whatnot like that. But he couldn't figure out the cell lock. Despite all his efforts, the lock would not open. And finally, desperate, but like realizing that he's done, he slumped to the floor and leaned against the door, and the door opened. Because <laughs> the jailer who like set up the whole thing forgot to lock it on his way out, it was unlocked the entire time. Houdini had the ability to just walk out and live in freedom. What are the names of the guards in your heart of hearts? Like, because if you want to, you could be set free in Jesus' name. What's, what's holding you back? So I told you I was going to tell you a bunny story. Yes. Are you ready? Yes. It's bad, y'all. <laughs> it's really bad. So I'm hanging out with our, we're hanging out with our friend De uh, Debbie. We're at her house. 
I'm at her house, and uh, they have a big old uh, golden retriever. He's enormous. Uh, no, he's a lab. Uh, he's enormous. Uh, and he, he's got, he, he had a chew toy in his mouth, and he goes, squeak, squeak. But it didn't sound like any other chew toy. And Debbie and I are looking at him, and in his mouth, there's two little feet hanging out of his mouth. And I thought, oh my gosh, he found a duckling. He didn't. He found a baby bunny. Like, like, a, like a baby bunny like this big, right? So I go in and I wash the baby bunny off and, and, and it's alive, um, but obviously stunned and shocked. And, and immediately Debbie's like, you know, like that's it. She's in love with, with the baby bunny. Um, and she takes care of these two little girls. They're incredible. Um, and they see it, and they're absolutely in love with the bunny. Then we find out that the bunny is paralyzed, right? And it had been since birth. That's why it was in the yard, and their dog could go and get it. Um, but it wasn't in pain, and it would, like, it would drag itself around. And so, of course, uh, the little girl uh, named it Skippy. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so when... When Debbie came over for the prayer retreat two weeks ago, or a week and a half ago, like, you know, we entrusted Skippy to the family, right? You know, like, take care of Skippy. And uh, Debbie came back, and Skippy was fat and happy and doing great. And, like, literally, Debbie was researching on Etsy for, like, baby bunny wheelchairs, you know? Like, you know, because evidently taking care of disabled rabbits is a thing. Like, I don't know how we've gotten to this place in our society, but it's a thing. And I got to tell you, Skippy is the cutest dang thing in the world. So I went and visited Debbie this week and was hanging out, and, um, and Skippy stank a lot. And like a lot, a lot, a lot, you know, because it's an incontinent, disabled, paralyzed bunny. And I thought to myself, you know, this is like the whole, the whole room is stinking and so Debbie goes to work, and she says, you know, listen, don't worry about the bunny. Don't wash the bunny. I'll take care of the, you know, I'll take care of it. And I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, don't worry. I got this. So she goes to work, and I, I wash the bunny, and I give that bunny a bath, and it smells fantastic. And I'm blow-drying the bunny just like, you know, my English teacher, Les Francis, did. And this bunny's not getting warm, and it's getting cold, and it's shivering, and I'm thinking, I'll just blow dry it some more. And then I put it out in the sun, and it seemed fine. All day long, the bunny's great. The bunny's great. The bunny's great. Right? And then, um, you know, and the, and the little girls that she's watching, they come over, and they hold Skippy, and they're so excited about Skippy. And then uh, we sit down for dinner, and, uh, and afterward, when we'd gone to Walmart and bought all the stuff for Skippy, and, you know, like bunny mansions, and, you know, we're preparing to purchase the bunny wheelchair, you know, for Skippy, you know, where he could, like, motate around. And then uh, she says, Dave, can you go get uh, Skippy? We're going to feed him. And Dave goes in the back, and then he comes back out, and he goes, well, Skippy's dead. And Debbie looks at me and goes, fix it right now. <laughs> So I get Skippy and I'm breathing, breath of life, Skippy, like mouth to mouth, doing little chest compressions. Skippy might weigh two ounces. He's this big, right? He's literally the size of a Twinkie. I'm like, breathe, Skippy, breathe, breathe. I, I totally killed Skippy. And I didn't want to believe it, right? And, and, and it's like, I already gave the bunny a bath. Why would giving the bunny the bath like be bad? And she's just like, and the girls are distraught and... And she's just thinking to herself, I know, I'll just look up on Google, you know, that like, uh, you know, giving a bunny a bath is, didn't kill it, you know, because bunnies paralyzed, you know, they just die. Bunnies die. It happens. It's life. And every single article on Google is never give a bunny a bath. You'll kill it. And she just looks at me and she's like, Andy, I don't know what we're going to, like, like you killed Skippy. And I'm like, I didn't kill Skippy. There's no way I killed Skippy. He's like, no, I I killed Skippy completely. So, so what was I going to do? What was I going to do with this? What was I going to do? Absolutely get a new bunny, 
But see, the thing is, is that in that moment, I had, I had an opportunity. I had just been set free on the prayer retreat of feeling worthless, right? And there was a battle within me. There was a battle within me. Was I gonna feel? Was I gonna beat the snot out of myself for killing Skippy? I didn't know that giving a bunny a bath would kill them, right? Everybody I talked to afterwards were like, "Oh yeah, you never give bunny baths; it kills them." And I'm like, "I didn't know. I, I literally did not know." It's okay to laugh, right? It's okay. It's okay to laugh. Thank you, Augie. Uh, <clears throat> I, I didn't know that. But what was I going to do? How was I going to feel? Right? Listen, y'all, you might not kill Skippy this week, but you're going to mess up. What are you going to do with yourself in those situations? Somebody is going to mess up. They might not kill your bunny this week, but somebody in your family is going to mess up. How are you going to treat them? Will you, will you bind them to the captors of shame and condemnation? Will you bind yourself to those captors? Or will you bring freedom? It's serious. I mean, the Skippy thing is funny and tragic and awful at the same time, but overall it's funny. We got a new bunny, Hiccup. Um, he's great. I, I spent a lot of money getting, getting Hiccup. He's fine. He's not paralyzed at all. Um, but I solved that problem pronto early in the morning. Um, dang. Dang, it is so important. When you are set free, live in the freedom. Don't go back to the captivity. Amen? Amen? Okay, back to Peter. He's outside. He's free. He, the angels are gone. Ready? Verse 11. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. People Peter repeats the truth of his freedom. That's an essential piece for every single one of us. Right? Listen, when God sets you free and does something in your life, tell the story. Tell the story, even if it's to yourself, tell the story. Verse 12, when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. Peter is going to hang out with Mark for a long time. They're going to do work together. Mark is going to tell Peter's story. That's called the gospel of Mark in the New Testament. It's Peter's story with Jesus. So Peter goes to Mark's mom's house where many people had gathered, and they're still praying. What are they praying for? I love this. The church is praying for Peter to be released, and what happens? Verse 13, read with me. Peter knocked at the door, outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. They're praying, Lord, set Peter free. Verse 14, when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening the door and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. This is Jesus' sense of humor. Right now, I'm about to explain it, but it gets funnier. Verse 15, what's their response? Read it with me loud and proud. You're out of your mind. Why? Rhoda, God doesn't answer prayers like that. We're praying Jesus set Peter free, but he's not like at the door. <laughs> do, do you pray prayers that you think Jesus is capable of answering as in like, Lord, you know, just help this situation sort of like in a generalized, you know, kind of way? Or do you pray specific, incredible prayers that only God could answer? Would you pray prayers that, that are big, have big faith? Like, Jesus is not an administrative intern assistant. Like, he's like, Lord, please provide me Starbucks and get my dry cleaning done. Like, that's a lousy prayer. Why? Because God's much bigger than that. Pray big prayers. And don't be surprised when they're answered. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept on insisting that it was so, no, dude, he's out there. You're out, you're crazy. Rhoda, stop. 
Well, we told you about these stories. Peter is out there. No, he's not. Literally, the door is knocking. I can hear his voice. What do they say? It must be his angel. What kind of answer is that? I don't even know, right? Verse 16, read this with me. But Peter kept on knocking, and they're like, ugh. And when they opened the door and saw him, they're astonished. It's this absolutely incredible moment. I love it. Did you know what this exactly what happens with Peter? He and the disciples are locked door one year earlier, right? And then who comes running to them? The ladies. And what do they say? Jesus is alive. And what does Peter say? You're out of your mind. No, seriously, Peter, he is. No, he's not. Yes, he is. It must be his ghost. Like verbatim. No, Peter, the tomb is empty. You've got to see. <gasps> and then Peter goes. And then Peter is just standing outside. And I bet you $1,000 right now. Jesus is like, remember this a year ago? <laughs> That's funny right there. Now, Peter is going to stay elsewhere. He doesn't want to get Mark's mom or Mark in trouble. And so he's going to stay elsewhere. Uh, and what happens next is yet another tragedy. Verse 18. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. Well, duh. You're chained to somebody, and then all of a sudden, you wake up, and Peter's disappeared, right? And the chains are gone, and all of the prison doors are open, right? After Herod had a thorough search made for Peter and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod left from Southern California and went to San Francisco to his summer palace and stayed there. That's Caesarea. The guards are slaughtered for Peter's escape. It's a brutal moment for them and their families. They're innocent. Like literally, the guards did nothing wrong. And once again, Herod kills the innocent. Again, Herod has a choice. His free will choice is once again to kill or destroy innocent people's lives. What happens next is God's justice. Herod goes to the palace in Caesarea, and while he's there, Herod throws a party, a series of, like, like a week-long party. There's games, there's festivities, there's tournaments, there's the whole nine yards. Think medieval jousting, right? The whole nine yards, right? Except there's no jousting. It's just Herod's version of the party. And while he's there, Herod has uh, some diplomacy he has to do but he also wants to exalt himself. The historian Josephus, this is not from the Bible, this is just from Josephus' history called Antiquities. Josephus writes this about what's gonna happen next with Herod. On the second day of the spectacles, that's the activities, the festivities that Herod did, Herod put on a garment made wholly of silver, of a truly wonderful texture, and came into the theater early in the morning there the silvers of his garment, being illuminated by the fresh reflection of the sun's rays, shone out in a wonderful manner and was so resplendent as to spread awe over those looking intently upon him. Look at my new duds. Solid silver, sun reflecting. He's wearing a sequin suit made out of solid silver. The disco ball is rotating. The band music is playing. Everybody's like, oh, it's a god. Verse 21, this is Luke's version. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, read this with me. This is the voice of a god, not of a man. What happens next is justice. Josephus tells the same story of Luke, but we're going to Read Luke, because I love his version. Verse 23. Read it with me. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten. Wait, wait, what? Yeah. He's, he, Herod was, he collapses. Once they all say this to him, oh, it's the voice of a God, he collapses on uh, the dais, he can't stand anymore. He's taken, he'll be sick for five days and he's literally eaten from the inside out by worms. That's how Herod dies. Verse 24, 
You, this is another 50-pound word. Shout it out. Are you ready? But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. What's the point? Justice will come to your jailers. That's the point. Justice will come to those whose free will choice have crushed you and your children or your grandchildren. Justice will be done. And it's God's job, not yours. It's God's job, not yours. Let me say it again. It's God's job, not yours. So don't hold on to the bitterness. Don't hold on to any chain or shackle that would bind you to resentment or anger or bitterness in any way or revenge in any way, shape, or form. Somebody say amen. Amen. What's our job? Our job is to pray. Our job is to trust. Our job is to walk free and tell the story of how Jesus has ransomed you from your bondage with his very life. Let's pray. Jesus, I, I am sorry for killing Skippy this week. And God, thank you that you have forgiven me. And I no longer need to be bound in chains to any lie that would make me feel less than, to any lie or any jailer or any captive that would wreck my life. And God, as we enter into communion, I pray right now, Lord Jesus, for each one of these people here, that as we receive your body broken and your blood shed, that you would break the chains that are binding us now. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant, which is in my blood. Drink this. In remembrance of me, all your sins have been paid for by his body and blood broken and shed for you. You don't have to live in that place of captivity any longer. I'm going to ask you when you come forward, the ushers are going to dismiss you. Our deacons are going to serve you communion. You can take the bread at any time. We'll hold the cup and drink that together at the end. Lord Jesus, bless my friends. Thank you that you commune with each one of us. You've joined us here today. We are not alone. And all God's people said, amen. Would you take the cup? This is the blood of Christ shed for you. All your sins are forgiven. You are free. Walk in freedom. He is with you today. Amen? Would you stand for the benediction and the blessing? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you all the peace that you need. May the Lord lift up his countenance, that's his delight in you, surround you with grace and hope. May his will be done in your life this week, right now in your heart. May his kingdom come just so good. You are free. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day. If you would like prayer, come on forward. Uh, We love you guys. Take care.
Pastor Andy Rock is the senior pastor of Coastal Community Church. It's located in Grover Beach, California, and serves communities across the Central Coast. Join us online each week on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for our weekly live stream. We also have two in-person services at 9 a.m. and 10.40 a.m. in our sanctuary. Coastal Community Church is located at 1830 Farrell Road, Grover Beach, California. For more information, visit our website, www.mycoastal.org. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you have a great week.